Good evening. I'm Sam, an alcoholic. And a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I hope the rest of you notice those lights doing their thing there. I, mean, I don't mind it as long as everybody else sees it too. I'm worried about hallucinations, my old age. I also smoked a lot of non-habit-forming marijuana that I was addicted to. Yeah, I know. Maybe that was one of the dopers doing the lights there. Who knows? <laughs> Cops in a meeting, too? Good grief. I'd like to share with you some of my experience, strength, and scar tissue this evening. Get your own hope. <laughs> And as usual, the story will be a little disjointed tonight. I have uh, what somebody once called Catholic Alzheimer's disease. You forget everything but the guilt. <laughs> I went to a Catholic school for eight years, and I majored in guilt with a minor in shame. I taught the nuns a lot of new words. They taught me about staying every night after school. It took me two and a half years to learn to say yes ma'am and no ma'am. After that, I went in the opposite direction. I became an altar boy. I sang in the choir, and I was an example to the other little urchins in this 35-person class that I spent eight years with. I come from a family of alcoholics. Most of them drink. Those that don't should, of course. <laughs> Promised myself I'd never end up like those idiots. However, by the time I was 24, 25 years old, I'd overshot the field a little. I ran into my Aunt Bessie one day on the street, and I was pretty drunk, and she said to me, you are the grand finale of son of a bitches in this family. <laughs> well, I succeeded someplace. I, uh, I got out of the Catholic school after eight years and went. I started the ninth grade but never finished it. And I went from there to a, a um, reform school. And I got out of there and I was a horny little kid loose on the streets by this time, 14, 15 years old. And I uh, wanted to get out and dance with the ladies and so I did. And I, I don't, something happened to me. I, I guess I must have been searching for my mother because I. I chased older women until there weren't any anymore. I mean, <laughs> so um, I got put in the penitentiary when I was 18 years old because I was guilty of a few felonies that <laughs> they had pictures. And so I got out of the penitentiary and I had four years to do on parole. And I did not like it. And I started to drink and I started to use drugs. Because I realized after I started that I was a fool. I should have started much earlier. I wasted all those good years when I could have been drinking. And by the time I was 22, 23 years old, I was hooked on everything that I'd tried and I was looking for more. 
hoping the pharmaceutical companies would come out with something that could control my drinking a little better than was. I wouldn't get arrested so much. I, I was just a big shit magnet for the cops. It was. <laughs> I couldn't get from one bar to the other if they were next door to each other. I even tried the alley, and that still didn't work. They managed to nab me. And of course, I, I didn't like the beatings. I kept getting hit, hit on the head. I can still hear that noise when they hit me with that stick. And I uh, go to jail several nights a week, and they would kick me out in the morning. And after getting hit on the head a few times, I decided to drink a little closer to the jail. That was my solution to that. <laughs> yeah, what do you mean, quit? <laughs> Hell with that. There's got to be another way here. So that's what I did. Uh, two weeks before I quit drinking, I had a judge tell me that I was a social irritant. I never minded all the fights in bars and all the names that we called each other. It never bothered me at all, but that social irritant thing got to me. Damn, I hated that. And the day after that happened, I was thrown out of a bar in Santa Monica, California, as I was going in the door. I didn't realize I had been in there before and caused a lot of trouble. The bartender's yelling at me, out, 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 out. And I thought, what did I do? And then he said, and take your grandmother with you. Been dating her two years, I so. I don't know what your love life was like, but <laughs> pretty bad. I once heard a guy in the Venice group describe it. He'd say, oh my God, I'd wake up and, and there she was. And then I'd wake up a little bit more and discovered that there was somebody on the other side of her and wondering what he had done in the night, how he'd gotten there. <laughs> That's the way I lived. I didn't give a damn about much of anything. My love life was forget it. By the time I was mentally ready, I was physically unable anyway, most of the time. <laughs> I drank as long as I possibly could and then about two years longer. And I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous because I'd heard about it in bars sing the AA hymns, they picketed liquor stores. There was a militant wing, the bomb distilleries. I heard all this crap. <laughs> Wanted to believe it because I suspected someday I'm gonna be over there. And I was a witness to a killing back in the eastern part of the country in Kentucky and I knew how to be an alive witness. When in doubt, cut out and get the hell out of there. So I ran home to Mama. I reeled in my umbilical cord and went home. And Mama had been to Al-Anon. Yes, she had those little beady eyes and that smile. She got me up against the wall and released me. Said, you can stay here a couple of days and you get your ass out of here because I don't want to see you drink yourself to death. And I thought, who me? I'm a nice guy. And. A few mornings later, I was puking with my brother, and he said to me, if our luck holds out, we'll be dead by noon. <laughs> Another great day in paradise. Pretty soon we got some wine to stay down, and then he said, as soon as we get off of this one, let's really go on one. That's what the bottle did for me. It changed everything. But it was also making a disaster, one hell of a disaster out of what my so-called life was.
And since I was a witness to a killing in the East, I wanted to get the hell out of there, and I moved to Venice, California, where I was to live for the next 30 years of my life, or most of 30 years. I uh, moved into the worst place in town. I asked, if I, naturally, I went into a bar. Where else do you go to find out where, how to rent a room or where? And he said, there's a place up the street here that I won't even go in the daytime. I thought, that's perfect. I'll move right in. I moved in and fell in love with a girl who was a manic, depressive, suicidal, alcoholic, dope fiend. <laughs> she carried a, a razor blade and three uh, suicide notes for emergencies. <laughs> she came home from work every night, brushed her teeth, turned on the gas, and went to bed. My kind of girl. She had a boyfriend she had to get rid of first, and uh, her solution was to kill him. She's pulling the trigger on the gun. He'd taken the bullets out of it. Wise dude. While she's pulling the trigger on the gun, she's yelling at him, You son of a bitch, it's your fault. You've made a killer out of a nice girl like me. Yeah, look what he'd done to her. Get rid of her. I always wanted to blame somebody else, so I identified with her, certainly. Anyway, uh, at Christmas time that year, I called my father, which was the only time he would accept a collect call from me, and he suggested that I go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I said, what for? He said, because you're drinking yourself to death. I said, I am not. He said, what did you get for Christmas this year, smartass? I said, I got two gallons of wine and a 500-pound Benzedrine tablet. Which is what I had fantasied about and wanted that big sucker, you know, hit it with an ice pick and rock it to the moon. I went, there's a, some groups down in L.A. that call themselves, the, what, the fourth dimension groups or fifth dimension groups? I wonder how they get there. Because they collared me one day and said something about going over there, and I said, don't worry about it. Hell, I'm still on the launch pad with my ass on fire. I'd never make it with you guys, so forget it. Anyway, um, I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because I, I have no idea why. I just said to my father, okay, I'll go. And he said, well, don't smoke any marijuana before you go over there because you won't hear anything. And I didn't know marijuana affected my hearing that much. <laughs> took me all day to get there. I started out at 10 o'clock in the morning from Venice, went into Los Angeles. I vaguely remember being in MacArthur Park and... Uh, moping around there and drinking a little of God knows what and I uh, finally got to a meeting that night about 10 minutes of 10 at the 6300 club at the corner of Wilshire and Fairfax and when I walked in there there was a lady sh sharing and she said that she had wet her pants twice and come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I thought well <laughs> wait till they find out what I've done <laughs> anyway I didn't pay much attention to what happened there. Somebody gave me a book. I threw it in the trash can on the way home and totally ignored, as I had all of my life, totally ignored almost everything that was ever said to me. Mostly my uh, conversations consisted of waiting for you to shut up so I could say something important. It was just, we bumped facades. I never communicated really with anybody except, oh, fights and that sort of thing. Anyway, I... They didn't mention marijuana, and I didn't. And they didn't mention drugs. I didn't mention that I didn't, I wasn't frightened of needles, let's put it that way. 
And so uh, at the end of 10 days of wonderful dryness, I smoked a joint. I got thirsty, so I drank. I got drowsy, so I took some amphetamines, a natural progression for people like me. But during that time that I was loaded, it lasted about a week, I'd heard about lower companions, and I thought, well, that's what I am. I can't find my place here. I'm going to go to a lower companion group and at least try that. So I went back to the 6300 Club, asked a guy about lower companions. He says, I have the perfect group for you. Come on. At the corner of Pico and Alvarado was a group called the End of the Line. And that sucker was the end of the line. First meeting I went to there, the leader pounds the gavel down on the thing. He said, we don't read anything here. There's no traditions here. It's every man for himself. <laughs> That's just what I wanted to hear. <laughs> they asked for announcements. A guy named Jake Sean got up and announced that he was sinking into a depression. He said, I won't be at the meeting next week. I'm going to kill myself, and I'd like to say goodbye to all my friends. <laughs> hell of an announcement. <laughs> but I'd finally found somebody to identify with, even though he was leaving. So, about 10 minutes into the meeting, through the side door came three dykes. Two. That doesn't mean we need the slides, does it? Okay. There were the two sober ones were kind of carrying the drunken one, and as they came through the door, she dropped her purse and out fell a gun, a bottle, and a dildo. Which is <laughs> standard accoutrement for a dyke's purse, I guess. Uh, the two sober ones got to fighting over the contents of the purse. The leader kicked them out of the meeting, left the drinking one there, and she sobered up, and she never took another drink the rest of her life. And she said that she was sober because that group had made her welcome. And I firmly believe that's what it should be for Alcoholics Anonymous. What are we afraid of around here when somebody strange comes in? There's a little antsy tonight. There's a friend of mine that the last two or three times I've talked any place around this part of the country, he's shown up in a gorilla suit, <laughs> comes up and hands me a note and then leaves. <laughs> the note always says the same thing on it. I am a cross-dressing gorilla. I've been kicked out of the Pacific group. Can you help me? <laughs> so if you see a gorilla coming through the door around here, well, knock him down and grab the note quick. So, anyway. Why not? Come on. I mean, is it really disturbing anything that much? Let's have a little fun around here. What, what does the thing say? It's on one of our pieces of paper here we got today. Uh, we're not a glum lot. And now, I know glum lots. There are some groups around. It's one of the things I disagree with here when I hear people say, I've never been to a bad meeting. I think, oh, well, come on. I know. <laughs> I know two right up the street. That <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I've had better flashbacks than those damn things. <laughs> Let's not bullshit ourselves about how good we are around here and how wonderful as we all lurch along the murky road of happy destiny. <laughs> I know the book says trudge for you purists, but I lurch all over the damn 
road on some days and it's murky as all hell. I need a seeing eye newcomer to get to a meeting. <laughs> Newcomers are easy to work with, no problem. Just listen to them because they, at first they won't say anything in meetings, but boy, they sure will. My experience has been they'll talk to me all the time and interrupt me when I'm saying, you know, telling them the secret of life. They'd interrupt that. And that's all right. I just kind of nod my head mostly now pretend to be very wise. And I le learned that from a guy that I went to the meeting with him and I overheard him saying, that Sam sure is a wise dude. He told me a lot of wonderful things on the way to the meeting tonight and I hadn't opened my mouth. I didn't have a chance. I mean, <laughs> so that's all you have to do. Just kind of nod your head. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's probably right. If they call you in the middle of the night, just tell them, I think your answer is on page 38. I have no idea what's on page 38. Doesn't make any difference. <laughs> they'll think, well, that old wet brain fool, he told me the wrong page, and they'll keep on going until they find their answer. There, nothing to it. Now, after I'd been around here for a while, after that little slippy-poo that I had, and I came back to the lower companion groups, uh, there was a group up on Vermont Avenue in Los Angeles called the, uh, let's see, the Bar None was the name of that group. I went to groups like that where <laughs> the only requirement for membership was breathing. <laughs> I began to wander around to other meetings and see what was going on, and I listened. There's an art to listening. It'll save your life if you ever try to practice it a little bit. And that still goes for me. <laughs> keep my damn mouth shut at a lot of meetings. I, I have a rule of thumb. I go to two meetings where I keep my mouth shut for every one that I talk at. And it still works out. And I've heard some great and wonderful things. And there, I love to mention the names of some old timers in meetings. Some were mentioned last night. A guy named Larry Blake he just fascinated the hell out of me. He'd ask a newcomer, oh, a young man, what time is it? And the kid would say, you know, it's 8.20 or something. And Blake would say, you still got to watch? What are you doing here? <laughs> a tough group. One night in Hollywood, there was a guy speaking and... He talked along for about five or ten minutes, and he says, you know, i got to be honest with you. He said, when it gets tough, I take a drink. I thought, what? Where the hell are we at tonight? Blake was in the front row. He said, you son of a bitch. And he went right up on that stage, literally grabbed this guy around the throat, and he went back through the curtains, and we hear this noise. Bang! The door slamming. Blake comes back. Good evening. My name is Larry Blake. I weigh 175 pounds. I'm your speaker for the evening and launched right on like nothing had ever happened. <laughs> One of the better nights at the old motion picture group in Plummer Park, they got uh, Bella Lugosi, the old guy that played uh, Dracula. He came to A&A years ago and uh, they asked him to read Chapter 5. And uh, you haven't lived till you've heard Dracula read Chapter 5. <laughs> He sounded just like that. He looked like that. He was a big, tall dude, and he dressed in black all the time. He wasn't really acting, I don't think. It was. <laughs> I think about that, and I, what if I'd stayed home watching television? I'd miss that. And I, I can't afford to miss things like that to save my life. I went to a, a Thorazine group some years ago, and... They asked one of the inmates to uh, read Chapter 5, and it took him 30, 35 minutes. And, uh, when it got to the part where it says we are 
not saints. He read it, we are now saints. <laughs> Where do you get out of here and get off that medication, friend? You'll find out. I don't know, maybe he's gone to a group. There are some groups in L.A. that who knows what they, I think they can all walk on the water. At least they pretend to. Well, that's all right. Let them do it. I, uh, I'm not here to judge anybody. I can't even do too good a job on myself. That's why I have friends that know all about me. I need to run that through somebody else's mind because mine is still cluttered on a lot of days. That's why I'm still uh, active in meetings. I still have a coffee commitment. I had to beat up a newcomer to get it, but what the hell. <laughs> I, I needed it more than he did. <laughs> I want to be an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous so that I'll remain clean and sober the rest of my life. And I don't know how else to do it. And I'm not knocking anything else that might work for somebody. I've known a lot of people who've done a lot of different things and seem to clean up. but. If the, the people I see in meetings, especially one this large, and uh, there, there's something here, and fortunately no one person can uh, own it. There are a few down in L.A. that pretend uh, to do that sort of thing, I'm sure. Uh, I'm afraid to say it. I'm not near an exit. Uh, <laughs> okay, here goes. Uh, have you read uh, the new AA book uh, that's out, uh, As Clancy Sees What Bill Thought He Saw? on, we're all in this thing together. Nobody's ahead of anybody else here. It's like saying my higher power can beat the shit out of yours. <laughs> so? <laughs> I got to go with what old Doc Smith said some years ago. We hold to no glorification of the individual. We are in this together, and I firmly believe that. Some of us have been here longer than others, and that's just what that means. Nobody's any better than anybody else here. I was lucky to be raised in AA in the Venice group. That's where I really found a home, and that's where I lived for a long time. And I loved that group. I mean, we had one rule there. That was if uh, they're loud, they get kicked out. If they're quiet, they stay. We didn't care if they were drinking or what the hell they were doing. And we had a group drunk. I think every group should have one. And all he knew was keep coming back. He didn't know anything else. He drunk every damn week. And after 18 and a half years, he quit drinking, and nobody knew why. He didn't know why, had no idea what he had heard, what had happened, but he cleaned up, and he stayed sober the rest of his life. He died a couple of years ago, but he had 20-some years clean time, and who's to say what happens here? I don't know. Uh, that's why I continue to go to meetings, because I want to maintain what I have found here. I stayed clean and sober long enough so that my sobriety had some meaning to it and that staying sober became a very, a very natural part of my life, almost like breathing. I mean, I'm dead either way there. I, well, I'm too old to slip, hell. I'm 74 years old, and I'm, in January this year, or next year, I'll be sober and clean 45 years, which is a long time in the life of a human being. But, And that's just what that means, you know, a long time. So you still find me in meetings. I've still got the coffee commitment. I still am active as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous so that I in turn can be an active member of the human race because it is my species in spite of what I thought for a long time. <laughs> I knew I was someplace else. 
And when I was a year or so sober, I, I got very curious about a lot of things, and there was an ad in the Los Angeles Times that said they wanted 100 self-admitted alcoholics to try an experiment. It might be a cure for alcoholism, but it was a guaranteed spiritual experience, and that was Lysergic Acid up at, uh, <laughs> at UCLA. I went up there, and, and they, uh, they had all these forms to fill out, and I, it looked all right. Then they gave us another little yellow piece of paper, and I looked at that one, and it said, I agreed to be strapped down if I became violent. And I thought, whoops, I don't think I want to hang around here, so I got the hell out of there. I was fortunate to hear right after that uh, a lady writer that I vaguely knew. Her name was Anais Nin. They had a big panel up here, and there was three advocates for LSD and God knows what else, including Timothy Leary. And when it came her turn, she said, well, I want a spiritual experience, but I don't want it by artificial insemination. <laughs> so, yeah, it's exactly what I want. I want the real thing, not something that's all fake, because my whole life had been fake and totally dishonest. I had no idea what honesty was. And uh, some days today, I think, well, I'm still not too clear about it. I better go find a newcomer and talk to him or listen to him, as the case may be. I was lucky to know people like John Bradley who didn't put up with any of my bullshit. He could cut through it so quickly. I used to brag about all kinds of things. I went, I flew to Akron, Ohio to visit the AA shrines. Bradley met me at the airport and I told him about all these wonderful things I'd seen and done and he says, oh yeah, I know, anything but work the steps. I thought, wait a minute, come on here. I'm grateful for people like that because they've saved my life. And that same thing happens, I believe, to most of us here. And we're the luckiest people in the world, you know. Here we are on a Saturday night, and <laughs> I don't think this police were looking for any of us in here. And if they were, they didn't find us, uh, hopefully. I've been in too damn many jails and too many other places that I really did not know how to get out of. But it involved quitting drinking and quitting using drugs. And so since I've done that, then I don't have to worry about a judge calling me a social irritant or any other wonderful labels that have been thrown at me by judges and who know other people over the years. I've been knifed, I've been shot at. And also, uh, with people that come in here and, and say, I hear it quite a good deal, they say it gets better and it gets better and it gets better. And what has gotten better for me is the ability to accept the crap that comes along, along with the ice cream, because it happens. And I've gone through a series of operations that I didn't think I could go through. Every time I saw a doctor in the last few years, I've just laid down and said, take what you want. <laughs> I kept taking parts until I didn't know what the hell was going on. I got it. Anyway, it's called living. And I thought since I'd been such a nice guy and sober for like a lot of years, uh, what the hell was all this that was going on in my life? And a friend of mine, Lauren, uh, explained it pretty well. He and I are going through some of the same things, that the probe and all the other wonderful things that doctors do to you besides cutting on you. And Lauren said that uh, the doctor was saying to him, here, look at this screen. You can see right up there. And... <laughs> The doctor's saying, it's beautiful, it's just beautiful up there. And Lauren, what the hell's going on here? It's a hell of a thing to find out at the age of 78 that the most beautiful part of your body is 14 inches up your ass. (laughs) 
So that's how we old people talk about our operations and things. And I decided it wasn't going to defeat me, that I wasn't going to be that depressed about the whole damn thing. And I, every time I see my doctor, I try to, well, I just have some fun out of the damn thing. You've seen these t-shirts and sweatshirts and things that say, bum equipment on it? Yeah, I put a big arrow on mine. You know, like this. When I see my doctor, if he's too late, I just grab a rubber glove, put it on, and say, Okay, Norman, your turn. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I take my program serious, but not somber or deadly. Let's have a little fun around. I learned that early on. Uh, I was at a meeting in Santa Monica, California, some years ago, and uh, Bill Wilson was there, you know, the co-founder dude. And, uh, <laughs> He was talking about this spiritual experience that he had, you know, the, the light and the wind blowing through him and all that sort of thing. And there's a guy there with him named Jimmy Burwell who's responsible for, in our book, God as You Understand Him. Bur Burwell said to him, Wilson, did you ever stop to think that that light was the guy in the next hospital bed turning on his nightlight? <laughs> I knew then I was in the right place. Because people were enjoying life and talking and laughing about things that I was afraid to even think about. And I, I had one thing in my life that I was going to carry to the grave. And when I took my fifth step, I did not share it. One little thing. And two or three weeks after that, I'm in a meeting and here's a guy talking about it in front of men and women. This thing that I had been afraid of for years. So I cornered him after the meeting and talked a little bit. And after that, I thought, what the hell am I afraid of here? And I began to talk about it all over the place. So what? With so many things in my life that I was terribly afraid of. Uh, my sponsor once had me make out a list of things that I uh, wasn't afraid of. And I couldn't find anything except fried eggs. <laughs> and, Oh, and I was an intellectual for a while. I never read books. I always read book reviews. I'm in a hurry. <laughs> I hung out with what I thought was a lot of spiritual people, but I realize now they just talked a lot. Uh, they were kind of like me when I was loaded. I had an amphetamine mouth and a Demerol brain. And get that all mixed up. And I read some wonderful things and I've heard some wonderful things around here, but it doesn't mean anything unless I use it in my life. And I need to, I have a, I forget, I mean, even before I got old, I was forgetting a lot of things. And it's one of the reasons I continued to go to a lot of meetings. So I would continue to keep in my mind what the hell is going on here. And there are people in this room tonight that I love very much and that I have loved for a long time and I believe that's the answer to it all here. So there's people in this room that, well, you're experiencing the same damn thing. The love that is present in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and there is more than enough in any room for everybody. So slice off your hunk and take it home with you. It's for everybody here. You never have to be alone again. And that was one of the fears of my life. I come from a large family. They do not know that I exist. My Uncle Frank, and hell, I'm 74, almost 75. This clown still asks me, uh, when did you get out of the Army? <laughs> I've never been in the Army. Uh, then he'll say, how long have you been wearing glasses? 
<laughs> since I was nine. I don't want to be around people like that any more than I absolutely have to. I prefer people that I have met in meetings that when you ask them how they are, they tell you the truth. If it ain't good, they just say, well, I'm totally fucked or whatever. <laughs> Instead of, oh, everything's fine. Everything's marvelous. Used to be a lady in Santa Monica. You ask her how she was and she'd say, oh, I'm in the middle of a miracle. And I really? I'm not sure I want one of those. And I heard a mentioned here today about the freedom from bondage story in the big book and about how you pray for somebody and my sponsor said you're going to have to pray for her and I said no I'm not and he said oh yes you are so I prayed for her and three days later she died <laughs> so he got me and said we're going to have to have a talk about what kind of prayer you're doing here so I had to admit that on the way home from the meeting I purchased a doll and two packages of pins and then prayed for her the hell did I know about living? I mean, doing things like that, and I did those crazy things. We are so lucky, those of us that are in this room tonight, especially the ones that have been around here for a while. Uh, I think about staying home some nights, but my God, think of the things that I would have missed if I'd stayed home. I'd missed Dracula. I'd, I'd missed a certain little dude that I, I named Alexis. Um, he was a little gay dude that hung around Venice and he kept saying to me, Sam, give me a ride on your motorcycle. I said, get away, Alexis. <laughs> Go talk to your sponsor. <laughs> Finally, after two or three months of that, I'd had enough and I said, all right, get on. Took him up on the freeway, 110, 120 miles an hour. That'll cure this little bastard. And I got back to the meeting and I said, well, how did you like that, Alexis? And he said, well, I've always wanted to be a motorcycle bitch. I'm yours. So don't miss those meetings and don't miss those experiences. They're out there. <laughs> anyway, I'm very glad to be in this room tonight. I hope you are too. I'm glad to be at this convention where I've met people that I haven't seen for a while. And the, uh, a good feeling comes over me when I see people that uh, we've had good times together. And we talk about people that we love and that we care about. And some of the people that have taught me so damn much. Charlie Vick taught me all about hate and resentment because I had some. that I kept running into people that deserved to be resented the rest of their natural life. And I thought, well, I'll oblige you, you bastard. Uh, Charlie Vick used to come into meetings and I hate my kids. I hate both of them. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. The one little son of a bitch is sniffing gas. What am I going to do? And then he said, I came home the other night and he was laying in the front yard. I didn't know whether he's dead or vapor locked. And he, he wants a shell credit card for Christmas. And I thought, well, if I hadn't gone to the meeting that night, I'd miss that. I can't afford to miss things like that that saved my life. And they're still around at most of the meetings that I go to. I have one hell of a good time because I open my ears and I listen and get the feel of what's going on in our meetings so that I'll get mine for the... I don't want somebody else's. and I, I don't want anybody to wander off and get loaded so that I can move up another notch. To what? Closer to what? Uh, 
hell, I don't want to lose a place in line of God. That's, uh, so I come here so that I can maintain that. So I've continued to work the steps since I've been here. I haven't outgrown them yet. I keep a journal, and I take that journal, and I read it to somebody twice a year. Just keep a house cleaning going. Some of the same names have been on it for years. And some have disappeared, and some have come back. And like that. But I'm a human being, and I didn't know that's what I was for a long time. I was an alien. I was dropped on this place. I, what the hell am I doing here? What's it all about? And that now I want to be as comfortable as I possibly can in my sobriety and in my life. And the way that I maintain that is by being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I know I always end up sounding like a pimp for AA, but I don't know how else to word it. I, I mean, there are other places, and I've learned a lot of important things other places. I went to a seminar up at Big Sur a few years ago. Big time guru, paid a bunch of money to stay the weekend, had a hell of a good time, I thought. And at the end of it, the guru stands up and said, my philosophy of living boils down to one sentence, living in the here and now and all the rest is bullshit. And I thought, $500, I paid for that <laughs> little experience there. Because what really griped me, is I'd heard it in the Venice AE meeting two weeks before that and cost me a dollar. <laughs> Not that we have everything here, but there's a hell of a lot more here than any place else I have ever been. And so why not come on in here and use this thing so that we can all lurch along the murky road of happy destiny together? And what a life this can be instead of... I've made my life an adventure. I go out and experiment. I still do all kinds of things. I, hell, I, I, well, I tried to ride my motorcycle this year, but my left ankle gave out and I fell into the bushes. <laughs> Too much applause by the neighbors. <laughs> but then I got my revenge. I mooned them that evening. Like the true adult that I am. Then I found out they weren't home, so I had to do it again the next day to make sure. Anyway. I hope I've left you with some hope this evening and some uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Come on in here and enjoy this thing. And if you're having a rough day, don't deny it. If you want to do this, then do it. Get it out of your system. Don't carry it. I wasted too many years saying, oh, everything's just wonderful. I didn't want anybody to think that there was something wrong with my program. I used to say sometimes, I'm, I'm sober too long for this. What the hell's happening here? That sort of thing. And I, I've been depressed and I've been close to suicide and I've been uh, all mixed up. But I don't deny it anymore. It happened and that's that. And my best solutions so far in my life have been to get close to somebody that I love, hang out with them, and talk it out. And sometimes I don't even have to talk it out. I just listen to what they have to say. And something seems to happen. And so, how lucky we are to be in this room tonight. I sure as hell am. The love that I feel for some of the people in here, I, I wouldn't have made it. Because I know that love goes both ways. And it's not like my family at all. And I'm not, not knocking my family necessarily. That's just the way they are. They don't seem to know any better. And so why I don't want to waste my time trying to change them or, or figuring out what's wrong with them. I don't give a damn. I'm too busy in here living and experiencing and doing things. I can tell you tonight that my name is Sam, and I'm clean and sober, but only because I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and not for any other reason.
That's it.